The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to change the world and do it by running with the Game Changers, you have come to the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. Oh my, we have a quote from Mindy Grossman. If you don't know her name, you should. She is the CEO of HSN. The Financial Times listed her in the top 50 women in the world of business in 2010 and 11. She's been ranked among Ford's 100, Forbes 100 Most Powerful Women in the World for 2009, 11, 12, 13, and in 2014, she made number two in Fortune's top people in business. Interestingly enough, she began her career in 1977 in the menswear industry and left apparel, went to Ralph Lauren, went to Nike, and she became the CEO of HSN. That's Home Shopping Network in 2006. Here's the quote, and this will tell you what our topic is. There's a pure and simple business case for diversity. Companies that are more diverse are more successful. Well, she should certainly know. Thank you, Mindy Grossman, for the quote. So here is a pop quiz for all of you out there. Think about this. Just sit still. Focus on your brain for a second. I know it's not easy. How many unconscious biases are at play right now in your brain? Right now, unconscious biases, that's things you prejudge people by, things you think when you see somebody, when you hear their voice, when you meet them, when you shake their hand. It has to do with gender or with color or with style, anything. Okay, you may be shocked. There are 150 unconscious biases right now this very second in your brain. If you're human, you have a brain, that's what's going on. Who cares? Why am I bringing this up? Well, unchallenged biases that sit there and nobody says, "Uh uh-uh, wait a minute, what's going on here? If they become an unquestioned reality... They will prevent an inclusive workplace that's inclusive. That goes back to the quote about diversity. So what can your HR team do to attract, to retain, and to develop diverse talent? Is technology the answer? That's our topic today. The question is, moving beyond bias, can technology really help? We're going to find out. I have three very esteemed panelists, very smart people who are going to help us figure this out. In a moment, I will be introducing you to Noah G. Rabinowitz, Managing Director of Human Capital at Deloitte Consulting, and a shout-out to Carla Neal and all our good friends at Deloitte, who very often on our shows. We are also welcoming another newcomer, Barbara Martyr, 
Senior Partner at Mercer. And rounding out the panel is none other than our very own Dr. Patty Fletcher, who happens to be the sponsor of this series. And Patty's title is Leadership, Futurist, and Solution Management at SAP Success Factors. So let's circle around the table to Noah G. Rabinowitz. And Noah has sent us a quote from Wayne Gretzky. Do I really have to tell you? Wayne Douglas Gretzky, CC, born in 1961, Canadian former professional hockey player and former head coach, 20 seasons in the National Hockey League for four teams, nicknamed the great one and the greatest hockey player ever. I'm just going to stop there. Here's the quote. You all know the quote, and it's perfect, and I'm delighted Noah has brought it to us again. I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. Noah Rabinowitz, do you want to keep keep the G, or should we just shorten it to Noah Rabinowitz? How are you, Noah? Yeah, I think you can shorten it now. No problem. <laughs> Thank I'm you good. very Thank much. You. Welcome. We are so delighted to have you. Tell me, are you a big hockey fan? I am a big hockey fan and was a hockey player at, at one point in my life, and um, just love that quote now more for, for business purposes, but the the concept of, of thinking ahead and, and going to where the puck is going to be and, and not trying to, to be where it was is, is a very powerful statement in my mind, and especially when we, when we talk about this topic. Things are changing so fast, and that puck is moving um, at light speed. So we have to, to be able to track it and, and get ahead of things and, and be two or three steps ahead and, and really plant our feet down and let the puck come to us. So I know that's what we're going to be talking about today, and I'm, I'm excited to be part of the dialogue. Thank you. We're very happy to have you here. Very, very interesting. Um, Noah, the topic today, the subtopic under inclusiveness, diversity, is can technology help? Just want to get your POV, your point of view on that. Are you a fan of, yes, there's enough technology for HR to harness and to look ahead to where that puck's going to be that we can solve the problem of unconscious bias? Are you on the fence or are you a straight no way? What do you think? <laughs> I'm probably on the fence closer to the side of, yes, we can we can solve it. And uh, I don't think it's just a technology issue. I tend to look at things through uh, the lens of, of learning and, and leadership development. That's really the angle I think I'll bring to this entire conversation today. But I do see some, some very uh, significant flaws with the way we are training and developing people and bringing the awareness to them around unconscious bias and how we're helping people both identify and overcome their biases. So there's no doubt about it that we can solve this issue, but I think the the tools and techniques that we're bringing to solve the problem still have a, a lot of improvement to, to make. Thank you. I heard a little bit of optimism in there, and you can go back to skating. We'll tell you when we need you next. Thank you very much, Noah. And now let's welcome Barbara Marder, M-A-R-D-E-R. And when I hear your last name, Barbara, I think of Miss Marta or Martel on uh, Downton Abbey. She was one of my favorite characters, but I digress. Barbara has sent us a quote from the one and only Steve Jobs, Stephen Paul Steve Jobs, American entrepreneur, businessman, inventor, industrial designer. He was most notably the co-founder, chair, and chief executive officer of Apple. He also was a CEO of Pixar, member of the Walt Disney Board of Directors, and founder, chairman, and CEO of Next. And of course, he co-founded Apple with Steve Wozniak. I have a lot more trivia about dating Joan Baez and collecting Bob Dylan records, but we won't go there. So here is the quote Barbara has selected from Steve Jobs. Technology is nothing. What's important is that you have a faith in people, that they're basically good and smart, and if you give them tools, they'll do wonderful things with them. Barbara Martyr, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Glad to thanks be here. For- 
joining us. Love this quote. We don't usually get this one from Steve Jobs. Tell me how you picked the quote and how does it relate to our topic today of technology and unconscious bias? Well, I think it's so interesting because with all of the advances in technology, um, with artificial intelligence, with machine learning, we now can, the technology can make very smart predictions and, in fact, sometimes better predictions than us humans. But at the end of the day, humans are ultimately programming the technology and either we're going to program it to do great things and new things and achieve things that weren't possible before, or we could end up actually perpetuating things that we didn't like, for example, perpetuating biases. So I think it, it is the technology, but it's truly about how we as humans are using the technology. Very, very well put. Where do you sit? Are you on the fence? On, on t- Can technology really help? Is it an instant fix? Is it what we call the magic bullet, Barbara? What do you think? I, I think it's huge, um, but I think as Noah was saying, it isn't the complete answer, but I think it's a big part of it. Thank you very much, and we'll find out a lot more from you later on in the show. So pleased to have you on board. And now Dr. Patty Fletcher waiting very patiently to come on, and Patty has sent us a, this is a new one, kids, Leslie Jones. Come on, if you don't watch SNL in the past season or two, you might not know where she is, but she's showing up on everybody's talk show, everybody's panel. Leslie Jones, a young one, born in 1967. She's an American comedian and actress who's a cast member and writer on SNL, etc. Night Live. Uh, bravo to uh, what's his name for hiring her. <laughs> no, I can't even remember his name. Leslie has been a featured performer at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal and the Aspen Comedy Festival. In 2010, her one-hour comedy special, Problem Child, was broadcast on Showtime and she starred in Ghostbusters in 2016. I saw the movie. She was better than the movie. As Patty Tolan was her name. And here is the quote Patty Fletcher, Dr. Patty Fletcher has selected. The big percentage is us, the real people, and we have something to say. You have to speak up. You have to. I think she's imploring us, Patty. How are you, Dr. Fletcher? I'm great, Bonnie. How are you? I'm well. I was so excited to see this quote because Leslie Jones, am I right, Patty? She's showing up absolutely everywhere. She is, and she's been the victim of very conscious bias <laughs> as well, um, which has certainly put her in the news. And I think the person you were trying to think of was Lauren Michaels. Thank um, you. So Thank you. I was having yeah. one of those yeah. moments, too many names floating around. I was so excited, <laughs> right. and I, I, I talk about them all the time. So anyway, I think he was brilliant for hiring her. So she, she deals with – why don't you describe Leslie Jones in case some of our panelists around the world are not familiar with her? What does she look like? What does she sound like? How does she present herself? So we can talk about what you just said, Patty, conscious bias. What do, you, what does, do people see or hear with Leslie Jones? Yeah, so she's, she's a, a statuette. African-American woman who is so funny. I mean, just everything that comes out of her mouth is hilarious. She is, I follow her on social media. She's a very quick-witted, very smart, very kind heart, a very keen um, outlook, right, as most comics do. I, I definitely have a um, 
an obsession with stand-up comics. Um, and she's incredible. And, and unfortunately, um, social media for all of its awesomeness can also be a place for what we call trolls, right? So people who hide behind their screen and, and right. say things that aren't very nice. And so she's been the victim of, of blatant racism and sexism. And what's yes. been incredible are the people who have come together to say that's not okay. Um, so there's there's certainly some conscious uh, uh, defenses going on there. And you know what, Patty? I Googled this, and I came up with the article you may be referencing. Uh, August 25th, 2016, in the Huffington Post, the title of the column is Black Voices, and the title of the article is Attacks Against Leslie Jones Expose the Evils of America's Racism. And a quote mm-hmm. at the top of the article is, On my worst day, I can't think of this type of hate to put out. Jones, like many other black Americans, is sadly seen to some as not worthy of even the most basic levels of dignity and respect. This is blatant, but she is in your face. She is bigger than life. She is outspoken in her comedy. I'm, I'm imagining in her real life, and she is a force of nature. Can we agree on that, Patty? She is a force she is of a nature. Force of nature. Yeah. Yes. She is, and she's so, authentic, right? Which is a, a huge thing from a leadership perspective. Which goes to the quote: "Real people, yep. we have to say. Not we have something to say. We have to say something. You have to speak up. You have to." She goes from the we to the who. You want to pull the quote apart just for a moment for me, Patty? I, I'm really enjoying this quote. Yes. So what I what? Okay. So in the United States of America, by 2045, there'll be no master race. There are now 50 percent of the workforce are women. Five generations at work. Right? I could spout all of the different stats that have quite frankly become rhetoric at this point about the changing demographics of the workforce. And yet when we look at how businesses are structured, it's quite antiquated and and suits one or perhaps two populations, but not the others. And, you know, you had mentioned the 150 different unconscious biases that played Mm -hmm. our brains at any given time. We're not aware of them, right? That's the word unconscious. And so when so here I am, right, middle-aged white woman. My needs might, may or may not be met by the leadership development programs, by the technology, by the human resource packages available to me because they were designed to fit somebody else. That one-size-fits-all is no longer working. And so being able to speak up and share that, what, what's working, how can I better contribute, how, how can I better be engaged, unless we call attention to the things that are working and not working, the very inefficient status quo is going to continue. Those unconscious biases really do become the reality and, and stay that way. Thank you very much, Patty. Very interesting, and I am delighted that you introduced a new source of a quote to us because we get so many, you know, the same quote people go. I, I've started telling panelists on the prep calls, please don't send me another quote from Einstein or from Yogi Berra or from Darwin or from Peter Drucker. We love to have the new quotes, and, and bravo for picking one from Leslie Jones. So let's circle back to Noah Rabinowitz. Noah, we'd love to know where you're calling from, not the Google coordinates of the roof of your house. We don't want to get that close, but we'd love to know where you're calling from and what's in your cup today if it makes you happy. If not, Noah, what do you plan to drink later on? Noah. Right. So um, so I have to say that I am from Florida. I, I live in Florida, South Florida, but being a consultant, uh, of course, I find myself on the road pretty often, uh, if not always. Uh, so today I am sitting in a windowless office in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, okay. And at 
the moment, I'm just drinking water, but I was thinking about after work, I would have myself an Arnold Palmer, and I still haven't decided, I didn't know this if, uh, I didn't know this until very recently, that the, uh, the non-alcoholic version of the drink is called the Arnold Palmer, that's iced tea and lemonade, named mm-hmm. after, of course, the golfer Arnold Palmer, that was his favorite drink, but the alcoholic right. version is called the John Daly. And um, I just learned this. So I really haven't decided quite yet if I'll have an Arnold Palmer or a John Daly, but I'll be having one of those. And you want to tell us why it's called a John Daly? Because I'm looking it up right now. I heard, okay, you want to tell us why it's a John Daly or who he was? Do you know? Well, John Daly is is also a uh, a golfer, uh, a little bit after Arnold Palmer's generation. I guess he just enjoyed his uh, iced tea and lemonade with a, a splash of vodka. And apparently he enjoyed it too much, and that's what he was famous for. I was, was going to leave that part out, yeah. Yeah, uh, he had a little propensity to putting that vodka infusion. They called it sweet tea vodka. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so we have the Arnold. Thank you very much, No, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, no. the backstories are always very interesting. Welcome, Barbara Martyr. Where art thou, and what art thou drinking? To wax a little bit old-fashioned here. I am in Boston today, normally I'm based out of Baltimore, and it's bright and sunny here in Boston, which is wonderful. Um, I'm not actually, I'm sitting also, I have an office with a window, so different than Noah, um, and I don't have anything to drink at the moment, but I will tell you what I had to drink last night. Yes. Uh, I actually flew in very late um, and was booked by our travel agent at a place that some might call a hotel, but I'm not sure others would, and I... <laughs> got there, and I should have known something was off when the taxi driver said, are you sure you're staying here? I got, really? I got in the room. Hmm. I said, I am not staying here. And then I immediately started calling around for other hotels, ended up at a Westin right near where I'm speaking today, and I got in the lobby, and I said, where is the bar? And I was having <laughs> a nice sour apple martini. Oh, which you greatly needed for for relief. Thank you very much. Quite a story. Thank you very much, Barbara. I'm glad you're safe. I'm going to just interject that word because I have a feeling that had to do with your sor- your source of dismay last night at the totally. wrong place when the taxi driver says, "Are you really staying here?" I you should know, have known. I should have never you, gotten out. You know, it's a problem. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you found pro- appropriate lodging, and, and I'm glad you're here with us today. We'll save you. And Dr. Patty Fletcher, where are you? And what are you drinking? Anything from the last time, or you got a different drink for us today, Patty? Well, I am sitting in Burlington, uh, Massachusetts, in an SAP office with a lovely view of a parking lot. Um, and as Barbara said, it's it's a lovely day outside, so that's nice, unlike tomorrow, which will be Florida kind of downpours, I think, all day. Um, and Noah will be happy to hear that I am sipping on an Arnold Palmer. So it's delicious, very refreshing. You are. Is that just by coincidence that you and, yes, and Noah? I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it when Noah said that. Or is and it a John Daly? Yeah, no, yes, what? exactly. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'll never tell. But what I will say, though, is I'm not sharing. Um, so, yes, that's what I'm having. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you're having that kind and you can certainly switch over to the other kind with just a little tip of the wrist. I have a feeling later on after the show. Thank you all three of you. As Patty knows and Noah and Barbara are about to find out, they do not let me anywhere near caffeine 
or anything else more potent than that on radio show days. And Thursday is a double header. We did a Designing the Future with Game Changers at 10 this morning. And here we are with a bookend show at 2 p.m. Eastern. And it's Patty's series, Changing the Game with HR Radio. So all I have is a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water with a bright pink straw because I'm thrilled that the pansies I planted, yes, I didn't go for seeds this year, just I bought them at a local flower, local nursery, and they are blooming and blossoming and getting very thick, and I love looking out on my terrace in the morning. I work from a home office and seeing the bright colors of the pansy. So the hot pink straw is for a yes, bring on the sunshine, and let's keep the growing things growing. That's my message. So we're talking today about moving beyond bias. We're talking about workplace bias, unconscious, the kind that may be lurking in your brain. Yes, I'm talking to all of you out there around the world listening to us right now. Think about it. You meet someone, you form an opinion really, really fast. What was it? Their eyes, their hair, the color or color of their skin, the shape of their body, their voice, uh, whether they looked at you or didn't. Was it their handshake, the way they were dressed? Come on, you're building a little profile of them instantly because you've got about 150 unconscious biases operating in your brain. I don't care how open-minded you are, at least some of them are there. So we're going to talk about whether technology can be harnessed as a tool in the workplace for HR and the CHRO to try and release and get rid of those unconscious biases that prevent inclusion and fight diversity at work. Because as Mindy Grossman, the CEO of HSN said, It's a pure and simple business case for diversity. Companies that are more diverse are more successful, and we know your company wants to be more successful. So with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with a lot more from Noah G. Rabinowitz at Deloitte, Barbara Martyr at Mercer, and Dr. Patty Fletcher at SAP Success Factors. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, however you're listening. Kevin out. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. From setting up the right structures, enabling technology, and compliant operations, to hiring, developing, and cultivating a culture of success, SAP Success Factors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. Changing the Game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor and learn what is working and what has to change, all to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with HR. 
Yes, indeed. We are changing the game with HR, and we're talking today about moving beyond bias, that little four-letter word, B-I-A-S, that can pack a punch and impact your company's reputation, your ability to operate efficiently, your ability to keep and retain the top talent. Isn't that what you want? Of course it is. Our panelists today are Noah G. Rabinowitz. I got the G back there, Noah, at Deloitte, Barbara Martyr at Mercer, and Dr. Patty Fletcher at SAP Success Factors. And we're going to circle around the table back to Noah at Deloitte Consulting, and we're going to pick a topic from his list. Let's see where we're going to start today. Okay. Noah says, leadership development of the future will include zero teaching, and he puts quotes around the word teaching, and transfer of information. When we talk about unconscious bias, it needs to be more about an experiential environment, not classroom-based. Noah, a lot of information here. Tell us what this all means, please. Yeah, so um, what we're really getting at here is, you know, unconscious bias is, is typically treated in many ways in a training setting. Uh, a lot of times when we're not quite sure to do what, with unconscious bias, but we know we need to do something, we put everybody in a training room and start teaching them what it is and some model for how to deal with that. And my experience tells me that that is an ineffective way to deal with a topic as, as uh, important as unconscious bias. You, you cannot teach your way out of this problem and you can't uh, put it in a training manual. People need to have the experience of feeling what it's like to um, be the recipient of bias or to be in an uncomfortable situation or to be uh, affected by bias some way. And that's just, again, not a training type of environment. You can use technologies. You can use simulations. You can these days even use things like virtual reality or augmented reality to really put somebody in the shoes of somebody else. Um, So as we design solutions, learning solutions, for people to both identify their biases, figure out how to deal with them. Um, We really need to focus on the experiential side of things, let them understand what it really feels like to walk in another person's shoes, learn some tools on how to deal with it, but again, not by putting a trainer up in the front of some room and flashing them five PowerPoint slides with some uh, model for how to identify and, and deal with bias. Very interesting. Thank you, Barbara Martyr. Love to get your thoughts about this. Agree or disagree about this future leadership training? Yeah, I I agree with a caveat. Um, so I, I agree that that can't be the end all and be all of helping people overcome unconscious bias. But I do think, having been through that training myself, it's required at our company. Mm-hmm. It it did make me really aware, and I think. I don't think people generally want to bring unconscious bias to their decision-making, but it's just, as you were saying, it's our natural state. It's, it's how our brain is wired. Um, someone once, I heard once that the part of the brain that lights up when you're sitting across the table during an interview and the person is like you is the same as when you're sitting across from one of your kids. So that's, that's how natural it is. Um, so I do think... You know, Noah, to, to your point, just having that training and reminding people that it's something that they should be on the watch for, I do think there's value to that. Okay. Patty Fletcher, what do you think? Yeah. So, you know, billions of dollars are spent on training for this topic, and the needle hasn't moved. So something's wrong. And, and 
this is a topic of and, right? And I love the mm-hmm. idea of simulation where you can truly be put in someone else's shoes to experience the world through them. Um, and I think that's a very important topic because of unconscious bias, right? We, we need that kind of reality. But I don't think it's enough. Um, so it's one thing to go and learn, but if the mechanisms around you, how you spend your day aren't different, there's a problem. So it's because we, we then can't reinforce the behavior that we learned, the new insights that we have. And so being able to take technology and use it in a way where this becomes how human resource kinds of functions, whether you're a manager and, and how you write a job description or do performance reviews, unless those have diversity and inclusion embedded in those almost rote processes of, of being a leader or whatever HR is putting together a compensation package for a new employee or whatever it might be along the HR, HCM continuum, unless we use technology there to complement the new information um, so that it changes how we work in a more of a nudge kind of approach, um, mm-hmm. I, I fear that it won't be enough. Talk to me about the nudge approach, Patty, before I go back to Noah and get his comments, please. What is the nudge approach? Yeah, so nudge approach is, is saying, look, blame and shame don't work, right? And meaning that, um, you know, we can go and talk to the white man um, to say what you're doing. The systems are all meant for you. And by the way, you have nobody in these underrepresented populations or you can say that to any leader. And it becomes kind of a blame and shame, and, and it's not so great, and it's, it's calling people out in, in how they do things. And, and we've seen that that just hasn't worked, right? Research is showing us that that, that backfires, um, which, of course, it does. Um, and so instead, it's the, I write a job description, and the system mm-hmm. comes up with a pop-up and says, hey, you might want to rethink these words, or what about using this word instead of that word? And that's coming from a place of, well, the common example is nursing job descriptions are written for women with the words they use, and engineer job descriptions are written for men for the way they use. So you're closing out whole populations of talent. Um, so being able to nudge that kind of information as part of how they're doing it, you don't even have to call it unconscious bias or diversity and inclusion, right? It's simply part of finding the right talent for my team. Thank you, Patty, very much. Noah, I'm going to circle around to you. You started this conversation thread. Any comments you have about what Barbara and or Patty added? Noah? Uh, yeah, two quick comments. Um, so, so one is my concern when when, uh, when we try to train our way out of this problem is that it quickly becomes a compliance issue, and mm-hmm. and then the motivation just becomes go to the training, check the box to to satisfy the need. And and so I, I I'm not saying that the, the training can't be effective. It just can quickly uh, deteriorate into just got to check the box, and that's not what we're trying to do here. Um, and I've sat in meetings where I've witnessed. <clears throat> unconscious bias happening in the room and mm-hmm. everybody around me has witnessed it um, happening from very little instances of it to very large instances of it. And I can tell you that that's more developmental and goes farther in shaping how a person then thinks about it, deals with it, and identifies it than, than really any training solution I've ever um, been exposed to. So I'm not saying the training uh, Solution doesn't have value, but um, boy, there's just a bunch of, of pitfalls in it. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Noah. Barbara Martyr, I'm looking at your list here, and I'm going to bring up two of the topics you proposed for this roundtable, Barbara, and ask you to put them together. Number one, you say in hiring, 
algorithms beat human instinct using tools that allow you to better know, in quotes, your prospecting candidates. And farther down in your notes, you say, humans have algorithm aversion. So I'd like you to put these two together, Barbara. Make sense out of it for me. Help me. Absolutely. Uh, so the the some of the work that we did in the Innovation Hub, we really were inspired by the in hiring algorithms beat instinct. It actually came from a Harvard Business Review article. And what the article was basically saying is in certain parts of the hiring process, and again, they're not saying there is no room for human intervention, but in certain parts, especially in the early decision to screen in or screen out someone for further consideration, Mm -hmm. the algorithms do beat the human instinct. And it's exactly because of what we've been talking about. It's because of bias, both conscious and unconscious. And basically, the tools that we use now to make those decisions, which is typically a resume or an application or an interview, all are open to bias, which the algorithms aren't. So that, that's how the algorithm beats human instinct. Um, on the algorithm aversion side... Um, that's basically saying that, unfortunately, even when we're presented with evidence that an algorithm will beat our human instinct, we as humans, we trust ourselves more than we trust the algorithm. And that's, again, just part of human nature. So this is really something that we have to overcome because in order to get people to listen to the algorithm they have to overcome their aversion. So this is a, a big challenge that we're, we're trying to get through here. Very much a big challenge. And, and just saying algorithm and human in the same sentence makes me think, wait a minute, are they <laughs> going to play well in the sandbox together? I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing robots. I don't know if we're going to get around to having chatbots and robots as, uh, taking some roles in HR. Maybe we will later in the conversation. Dr. Patty Fletcher, love to get your thoughts on algorithms, human instinct, and algorithm aversion. What do you observe, Patty? Yeah, so I, I think, it, and it might be the same article, Barbara, um, that talks about, like, sourcing, for example, right? A very, you know, get thousands of resumes, right? <laughs> Looking for so many different things. So it's a, something that um, machine learning or, or, or artificial intelligence um, can really be used for um, in, in going more in the, the large batch piece. And then you're presented with, out of that, really the, the best quality candidates, or at least you're, you're supposed to be. And, and just kind of as an aside, um, there are certainly challenges with those algorithms. The bias in algorithms are from the people who designed the algorithms. So I, I know that, that, that that's a, a big focus. Um, I think it really depends on what the decision is um, around um, if, if there's going to be an aversion to algorithms. There's also studies from IBM that say people trust what a machine is telling them um, more than they would trust the bias of somebody else. So, yeah, I mean, the question I get most on this topic um, from folks is, oh, God, am I going to lose my job? Or are we replacing every decision <laughs> with a machine making Yeah, it? Of course not, <laughs> right? Of course not. It's meant to be a tool to help. Um, and an informed tool to help, but not a, a full replacement. And I think that's just an education and evolution thing. Thank you, Patty. Noah G. Rabinowitz, Deloitte, love to hear your thoughts, please. Um, yeah, so I can speak on a slightly different topic. I work in, in the area of high potential programs, you know, the leadership development for high potentials. And when we select uh, people, you know, deemed as a high potential 
uh, boy, there's a lot of bias that goes into that um, decision making. You know, you you, you uh, leaders like to pick people that look like themselves or that have a similar point of view or that might have gone to a similar school or there's the recency effect or so many biased ways of thinking about picking who are my high potential employees. What we found is that when you apply uh, validated assessment instruments and take the human discussion out of the equation, you actually get a better result. Um, the problem is the change management of all that. No, nobody wants to be removed from that discussion. Such a such an important discussion as who are our future leaders, who are our high potential employees, who we're going to invest uh, significant resources into. But in pure, uh, purely from a results perspective, you get you get a better outcome with a validated uh, psychometric instrument or a battery of instruments than you do um, in a discussion. That's just uh, just the way it is. It sounds. Uh, kind of frightening, but but I think that's what we're going to be seeing more and more as we go forward. Interesting. We want to keep some of that for our predictions, but it is part of our conversation. Barbara Martyr, before I go to a topic from Patty, as we're wrapping this one up, I want to ask you one more thing before you comment on what Patty and Noah added. You said in your notes, blind auditions evaluate people on their raw potential free of gender bias, and you gave as an example, orchestras have increased female participation from 5% to 35%. What are we talking about a blind audition? Because I watch The Voice on TV, and the four judges have their chairs turned, and they only hear the voice. They don't see the person. Is that what we're talking about in the HR situation? That is exactly it. And <laughs> what um, it, it really is, and I think the with the orchestra, it was exactly like The Voice that... It, when they were able to put a screen between the the people who were trying out for the orchestra and the judges, and they weren't able to see gender, they increased female participation from five percent to thirty five percent. It's it's really staggering, and that's where I think technology can come in. For example, in hiring, or like Noah was saying, for when, when I when I talk about hiring, I'm really talking about both external buying talent or mm-hmm. internal, the building talent, which Noah was talking about. Uh, either way, it's, it's really the idea of using objective data instead of human instinct to make, to make those decisions and then using that as the first decision point, for example, to promote someone or screen in or screen out someone for further consideration. After that, you can let them go through some of the normal process, but mm-hmm. this is the way that you're going to at least have a um, gender balance, for example, a gender balance slate of candidates uh, because you're, you're just removing that initial bias that um, ends up with a slate that is going to be um, you know, out of balance one way or the other. But Barbara, in a non-talent-based interview, you're going to see the person. You're going to evaluate them on their physical appearance, on their uh, how they smell, how they walk into the room, all of those physical attributes. And then we have those biases running around in the brain of this supposedly impartial company, uh, company-based. I have to hire the best person for this job for the benefit of my company. Not I don't like him. He's not working here. How do you how do you do a blind audition in a normal? We can go around the panel. How do you apply that to real life in a in let's say a um, an IT job or a receptionist job? How do you do that? Right at the end of the day, if someone needs to work as part of a team, then ultimately 
the team has to figure out if it's someone they can work with. Um, you're okay. not going to avoid meeting someone face-to-face and making that determination, can I work with them or not? Um, where I think technology comes in is at least making sure there's a gender-balanced or ethnic-balanced slate. So you're starting with a pool for that job or, you, or the promotion that's balanced and neutral. And from there, people will end up having to make the decisions. But, for example, you were just mentioning the IT role. If that yep. person works completely independently and is spending all day in their office coding, why do 15 people need to meet with them? No one's really going to need to work with them. Why mm-hmm. not let, let them take a coding challenge and give the job to the one who does the best? Because they could be working from home and it probably wouldn't matter. Interesting, interesting. Patty Fletcher, uh, I want to have you comment on what Barbara just said, and then we'll get Noah, yeah. and then Patty, I'll go to some of your This is too good not to not to go around the table. What do you think? Yes, I've been biting the insides of my cheeks. Um, <laughs> Stop <laughs> biting. Talk. <laughs> so, so if we just kind of going back to the blind component of, of, of resumes, for example, it's not just gender, right? I think we can all guess the other data points that are quite frankly irrelevant from a job perspective but that people from an unconscious bias perspective do weigh. So it's name, right, which can indicate race. It's also address, which could indicate um, uh, stature in terms of, you know, where they live. Is it an expensive place? Is it a place where, you know, I'm afraid to go? Um, And those are really, really important things to remove, right, to get them further along. And technology can then help once you start having those face-to-face meetings, where are people dropping off in the talent pool, right? Are women, when it comes to engineering jobs, or are they leaving once, or are they no longer in that pipeline once they have their face-to-face interviews? And really what this does is it starts to change the conversation. So instead of figuring out how to fix a candidate to be more like the person that the hiring person sees in the mirror when they're standing next to their current team, um, and instead say, what are the questions we should be asking? You know, mm-hmm. Noah has such great experience around the, the leadership development component of this. What does it mean to be a transformational leader? It's extremely difficult to be part of and to lead a truly inclusive team because it is hard to work with somebody who is different than you. But that is something we have got to figure out. It's, it's, we, I think, maybe going beyond the can I work with this person and talk about what does that really mean and how do we arm our leaders, the people responsible for who is in our talent pool and who stays in our talent pool and who gets promoted throughout our talent pool. What are the tools and new training that we need to give them in order to be able to do what the orchestra did? I love that example, and I'm going to research it and look into it. I love when I learn something yeah. new like that. That is a good one. Thank you, Patty. Noah Rabinowitz, love to get your thoughts on this before I pick up one topic from Patty we'll have time for. Go ahead, Noah. Uh, I mean, it, I, I just, I think I really want to uh, agree with my, my colleagues on the phone. Um, it, it's, there are so many uh, versions of bias, many of them self-imposed. Uh, I often see um, organizations that use the uh, reasoning of we're an engineering organization to explain a reason for why everything is done a certain way in that organization. Well, that's a version of, of a bias that's being imposed upon um, the whole organization and self to say, well, we can't do it another way because, um, you know, that's just how it is here. Uh, and, 
And that bias really just drives so much of the decision-making and in many ways holds back a, an awful lot of, of progress. So breaking those things down piece by piece um, is, I, I think, you know, a mission-critical uh, role that, that HR can help to facilitate um, definitely not own, and I, and I hope we get to talking about, you know, the, the ownership role of all of this, but, but that HR can, through technology and other ways, help to, to sort of facilitate the, the process of an organization systematically breaking down those biases, and they do come in, in every single shape and size. They, they do, and, and when you think of the people running an organization having their own biases, Patty, maybe you could quickly identify, uh, just, just comment on this. If leadership has those built-in biases and they don't even see them, they look in the mirror and say, oh, I'm very equal opportunity, and yeah, I'm leading a great uh, open workforce, we don't have a glass ceiling here, blah, 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 and, and they're the ones who are doing it because it's unconscious. Patty, who has to hold up the mirror to C-suite and senior leadership and say, wait a minute, Bob, wait a minute, Joan? You're the ones who were allowing this to happen. How does Patty in the real world? Who holds up that mirror or fires yeah, them? So, so first you've got to you've <laughs> got to find out if your C-suite and board are ready to hear it. Um, and if if the tone at the top is not open, nothing's going to happen. It's like with any other cultural change. Um, and and if it doesn't, and they lose a lot of talent, and they're not being able to compete, and all that stuff, trust me, they'll 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 this will be driven from them. But how do you do that, right? And it's kind of like um, one of the talk tracks, Bonnie, I gave you was a where do we start? And yes. unfortunately, where do we start is usually where people also end. So you have to identify where the problems are, which means you have to be able to track the right kind of data. And no, I think it was you who said this quickly becomes a compliance topic, right? The the training. Mm-hmm that we take. It's the check the box. And we don't want that. And that is such an astute thing to say because it's absolutely true. Um, And so instead, it's using analytics to identify when it comes to our company's diversity and inclusion um, policies and statements we have on on the the web around, you know, how everybody matters, all talent matters, and and all of those kind of typical D&I things. There'll be somebody in place, um, if it's a chief diversity officer who reports directly to the CEO or to the CHRO or a chief equality officer, or whatever that title might be, right? But it's somebody in charge. And they have the analytics and they put them into place and they identify things around typically where do we have underrepresented populations that we have on our website and we say are important to us. And I'm, I'm simplifying it, of course. And then based on that... We say, okay, and where does that sit? And you can go right down to the individual leader. And what we find, of course, in, in organizations is that in this part of the organization, the problem is in who who applies for a position and who we hire. But over there in that part of the organization, whether it's geographical or functional or whatever it might be from a difference perspective, perhaps it's that we have an underrepresented population leaving um, at a particular point in time in their careers. Perhaps they stop at director level or something like that. So it's really using that analytics. And then you can say, all right, what's the training we need? What are the new tools that that we need to be able to put into place um, and combine all of that stuff, right? The tooling, the training, the role modeling, the compelling stories, all those typical kind of change um, levers that we have. 
the unfortunate thing is most organizations stop at analytics and expect a change to happen so because they reached out and said, hey, you got a problem and, and it's not really working um, in terms of what you're doing. But then they don't give them the tools and the training um, in order to be able to correct it. And, and just something, one more, and, and then I'd mm-hmm. love to hear what, what the other folks say. Elizabeth Kellen from Cranfield University found that um, the, the glass ceiling is most prominent at the middle manager level. And HR's role is absolutely evolving, right? More of a service organization, the tools that they're putting out. We want them to be essential. We don't want to focus on adoption. We want people to use them to actually lead their teams, cultivate their teams, connect with each other, um, and all of that kind of stuff. So when we consider that the people responsible for the majority of the workforce, and that's where the glass ceiling sits. If HR or someone responsible for people strategy is not focusing in on the kinds of programs, Noah, that, that come from a leadership development or career development perspective, plus the tools that they need in order to work together with the, um, the, the things around preventing, detecting, and eradicating unconscious bias, that glass ceiling is going to continue to stay there, and, and, and that's a huge challenge. Thank you. Patty, you read my mind because I had highlighted research shows that the glass ceiling is most prevalent at the mid-manager level and talking about why underrepresented populations rarely excel beyond the mid-manager level. That's exactly what I highlighted, but I just want to share a story with the panel. Patty, I think there's so much we got to do a part two or a part three on this with the same panel. What do you think? I just, just, love it. Yes, if they're up right. for it, I'm up for it. Yep. I'm going to give you, I'm going to with either extend your series another week, which I've been asking you to do, or we'll do it on coffee break. But a quick story. I worked for a software development company that was oh, mid-size here in New York, and the the um, shall we just say the unpleasant work environment was not only perpetuated by led but led by the CEO. He regularly swore at people. He used foul mm-hmm. language in the office. His uh, nephew was one of his chief people. The nephew's wife was also hired. His son was on the staff. His daughter's nanny's daughter's nanny somebody next door neighbor's nanny was his chief financial <laughs> officer. So who do you? complain to when you're finding your work is being thrown literally under the bus. Everything you do, you can't say the color blue without five people telling you you're, I don't know, you're a horrible person and using cultures around the world that we don't want to talk about in modern day because they annihilated people. You know, there's nothing you can do other than leave. Patty, quick quick comment about that, and then we'll go around the table. What does somebody do who, who does not have an enlightened workplace? You came on board, you're doing your job, you're earning a decent living, and going to work every day is a living hell because the bias is just coming out of everybody's pores at the leadership level. Patty, what do you do? Who do you report you it to? Leave. You leave. leave. That was it. I mean, that's what I did. There's an ombudsman, I'm sure, right? And 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 so you can you can call and, and file a report um, through the ombudsman. But but you know, it's all about culture, and that's why this topic is so important. We know that millennials, for example, expect this. Although we can <laughs> talk about their track record, especially in the startup world, isn't so great either. But yeah. Um, but yeah, right. If it if if a corporate culture, regardless of it, it's this topic or a different one, which is absolutely set tone at the top, is is not conducive to your personal culture, trust me, you will find another company that is conducive to your personal Absolutely. culture. Absolutely. Noah, quick comments. Sorry to rush you, Patty. Noah, quick comments on that, and then we're going to, and then Barbara, and then we're going to go back to Noah and do the predictions round. So, Noah, what do you think about a culture that is just so rotten to the core inside every day? Who, where do you go? 
You know, um, it, it's a hard question. I don't personally have a, a lot of experiences with that type of culture. My, my experiences have been with where it's a little bit more hidden, maybe just as, um, just as negative of a type of outcomes. I mean, I, I've seen, for example, cultures where opportunities are um, distributed uh, based on a lot of unconscious biases. And, you know, those types of opportunities can affect the rest of your career and life. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. when, when you get put on the right project or get put in front of the right customer or get exposure to the right senior executive or get the opportunity to rotate or learn. And if those opportunities are, are not equitably distributed based on true merit, mm-hmm. um, which they rarely are uh, because of all the many forms of unconscious bias, you're really having an, a, a, a tremendous impact on... Yeah. Uh, not just the performance of the organization, as you said, but on people's lives and, and careers, careers and, and livelihoods right. and families. And, and so I've seen it more in that context. I, I haven't mm-hmm. uh, fortunately seen the sort of vile uh, boss who just, um, you know, is just so offensive that you got to do yep. something. Um, but I, I think it's just as, uh, just as big of an issue, that sort of more hidden version. Thank you. I've seen it even worse than I described. Barbara Martyr, quickly, and then we have to give you, I'll give you 60 seconds for predictions. Barbara, it's so toxic, you can't even stand going to work. Do you talk up? Do you leave? What do you do? Uh, I personally would leave, but I also realize I have the luxury of um, being able to live without a job for a certain period of time, and I know that there are many people probably who are subject to that kind of bias who don't have that luxury. Yeah, I did at the time. I told him I was going home to write a book. I never wrote the book, but I freelanced, so what the hell. (laughs) Anyway, go out with your head held high and don't cry on the way out the door. Noah Rabinowitz, 60 seconds. Take a look at 2020. What will be different about this conversation? Moving beyond bias, I'd love it if you tell us, Noah, that there won't be any unconscious or overt bias by 2020, but I think that's too much to ask for. So Noah at Deloitte, 60 seconds. Predict around 2020 what will change on this topic. Go. I, I do think going back to an earlier part of our conversation that, that analytics and machine learning and uh, cognitive processes and uh, the robots, if you will, are really going to play a bigger role in, in eliminating unconscious bias. Um, we, the, the algorithms and the logic of it all can be programmed to be fair and to uh, mask certain factors that just automatically trigger biases, uh, anything from where you went to school to the address you have to um, what generation you're in, uh, can be masked to, to look at the factors that actually are predictive of uh, a person's real and, and long-term success. So I wouldn't be surprised if gradually we continue to move um, much more in that direction. That would be great. Thank you very much. Barbara Martyr, 60 seconds. Go. I agree with what Noah said. Um, for, for two reasons. I think one, um, the great thing about machine learning algorithms is they get smarter and smarter over time. So we are just on the front end of training these algorithms, and by that time, they'll be very smart. Um, I also think we'll be able to see the impact of what's happened with those hires. So all of this is new, and we don't have so many studies and, and um, stories about how these people hired this way outperformed. By that time, we will. Thank you very much. That's something to look forward to. Dr. Patty Fletcher, I'll give you the last 60 seconds. Go. 
Awesome. So just kind of taking it a, a, a bit further, I, I think um, what we're going to see is that this topic is no longer separate from HR or people strategy topic. And in fact, it becomes how we do it. We kind of have no choice with the changing demographics and changing what people expect from their business systems and business tools that are given to them. Um, so I, I see it as truly embedded in, in just the how. Thank you very much. Patty Fletcher, you always knock this one out of the park, this series, Changing the Game with HR. Thank you so much, Patty, for a very, very provocative topic. That's what we like here on Game Changers. We like to live on the edge. Noah G. Rabinowitz at Deloitte. Thank you so much, Noah. It's such a pleasure. And shout out again to our friends at Deloitte and a special hello to Carla Neal, please, and Barbara Margaret Mercer. What a pleasure to get to know you, and thank you so much for your insights, and I hope you will come back soon. We have to go. Uh, Kevin is telling me a one minute left, and I want to say thank you, and here's my call. to This is the end of our broadcast week, believe it or not. We'll be back next week, and then big surprise, I will be broadcasting from SAP's annual Sapphire Now conference in Orlando the week of May 15, 16, 17, 18, yes, and we'll be on the live events channel of voiceamerica.com World Talk Radio with interviews and panel discussions for about six, eight hours a day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I can't wait. So that week we will not be doing any live Game Changer shows, but we'll be live from Sapphire. So here's my call to action. Thank you to everyone for listening. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like Patty. Be like Noah. Be like Barbara. Go out and be a game changer today, right now. I'm telling you, it'll feel good. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.